0: Hey everybody, J.G. Pastor Jack here, episode 48 of the Grassroots Motorsports Sports Podcast. You may have noticed already there is no music this week. Um, that is because I am recording from a top secret remote location and I don't have all of my files with me. But um, I do have enough to do what is going to be an amazing podcast today. I, I am very excited about this one. I've been uh, been very excited ever since we recorded this one. Uh, before it's come out, and now is the day. So it, just pretend there was music and a and a big opening thing, and now we're going to start the podcast. Welcome, everybody. How's it going? Um, first off, let me mention that if you are enjoying the Grassroots Motorsports podcast, if you would like to subscribe to Grassroots Motorsports magazine or Classic Motorsports magazine, go to com slash discount or com slash discount Going to either one of those two URLs will give you 20% off a new or renewal subscription uh, to one of our magazines just by being a listener of this podcast. Okay, why am I so excited about uh, this week's podcast? Because we are on with Mr. Andy Weyenberg, who is, his official title is like Director of Motorsports Promotion... For Miller Electric, Miller Welders, and usually a title like that is a desk job. It's it's a guy who's you know if if you're the director of promotion, you're a guy who writes a lot of press releases. You're a guy that you know does a lot of uh, media communication and media relations, and and you you're not really necessarily a hands-on guy. Andy Weinberg is sort of the complete opposite of that. He, yes, he kind of does all that stuff, but he is absolutely one of the most hands on guys at Miller Electric. I mean, he is the guy that basically, when, and he talks about some of his customers in here, and every single one of them is a name you're going to recognize, but when they need a new welder set up in their shop while they're, you know, building. NASCAR roll cages. He goes out to them and he demos the equipment and shows them proper technique and and um you know shows them how to get started and and best practices and everything for using their equipment. So we really were able to go sort of in-depth on some hands-on welding information in this episode of the podcast, which was really exciting. I was actually uh doing this from a little office that I have in my shop and I'm kind of staring through the window at my welder the whole time thinking you bastard just wait till I get a hold of you again after this and um, you know there was some really really cool exciting information there so if you are somebody who sort of has the urge to weld or is um, sort of using welding in some of your projects already and kind of wants to know how to get to the next level this is a phenomenal podcast list too there's some really really good information here so i hope everybody enjoys it um once again there's going to be no music in the transition going out to our interview with uh, mr andy wayenberg so i'm going to have to rely on your imagination to just sort of pretend that um we are drifting off to a far netherland where we are talking to miller electrics mr andy wayenberg enjoy everybody i always want to go back and revisit it later. So I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and start recording. Um, and let's introduce everybody. Uh, Andy, pronounce your last name for me. Is it Weinberg? Weinberg?
1: Yeah. Yep, it's Weinberg. Uh, okay, so
0: you, you are the, the, the motorsports manager for Miller Welding. And while for a lot of companies that that's kind of a sitting behind a desk, writing press releases sort of sort of job, it's a pretty hands-on type job for you, it sounds like.
1: Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty involved. I took this program over in the late 90s. I think it was 98 or 99, and uh, and because we we take it seriously, we're we really sign on to be a technical partner. So you know, we we're in the trenches with the teams. I I work with you know most of the big NASCAR teams: Hendricks, Roush, Childress, Petty's. Um, so we, we help them not only from an equipment standpoint, but we'll also train the operators on um, using the equipment, help them write weld procedures if they need to. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's it's busy work, but it's it's gratifying.
0: Okay, so we we're, we're, we're gonna talk more about that kind of stuff, but before we do, i I, I gotta talk welding for a while because it's 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 one sure. of the, the the most satisfying I, I, I like in welding to golf. Which is—it's one of those things that—that that it's incredibly hard to just pick up and learn, but occasionally there'll be this sort of spark of 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 knowledge or spark of accomplishment, and it really makes you want to keep doing it, even sometimes to your own detriment. But I would imagine most of the folks listening to us, if they if they have a welding setup, it's probably a MIG setup. I mean, that's a that's a pretty common common setup, you know, with with hobbyists and, and racers. So, I, I guess where I want to start with the hands-on stuff is is what are we all doing wrong? I mean, I'm sure there's, there's like, things you see whenever you look at somebody's welding setup or start looking at their technique that everybody is doing wrong, especially if they don't have, like, pro training or if they've just been watching YouTube videos. So, so what are we all doing wrong to start off with?
1: Uh, I think what I find with the interaction with the customer, especially at shows, when the people come in, and it may sound stupid, but... I, I tell people, after I watch them weld a little bit and see the position of their hands and how they're holding the torch, a lot of it's gun angle and a lot of it's derived from not looking at the arc properly and unfortunately, you know, they can't see the weld so they're tipping the gun a little bit so that they can see what they're welding. And that puts the gun at an angle that's not conducive to proper penetration. Um, and also, it's it's because they can't see very well. And I tell people, you can't weld what you can't see. Uh, a lot of people literally, you know, because their eyes are a little bad or, you know, they may use reading glasses to read. Well, you're going to need something similar to weld with. They just pick up a helmet. They put it on and they see this big bright flash that they're looking at, and they see it's kind of in the middle of where they want to be. But had they seen it properly, they would have known they were, they were off. Um, so we we make we make magnifiers similar to readers that slide in your welding helmet that that just clears everything up. And and of course, I've stepped into the dark side last year and actually put put one in my helmet. So um it, you really you can't weld what you can't see uh, it's not just a bright arc you should be able to see the definition of the weld puddle
0: well it, it, it's interesting that that everything you mentioned was all sort of technique based and and hand position based and you know you never really even mentioned settings or or torch settings or anything so i you know, obviously this is just an audio only exercise but when i'm when i'm looking at a weld puddle um kind of describe what i'm looking for and we'll assume for now that i'm sort of welding two things that are the same thickness and the same same density of material you know what what am i looking for and also am i am i looking to sort of sort of pull my torch along in front of it or am i looking to push my torch and and guide the puddle with with the torch and you know when would i do one or the other
1: good good question the uh the first thing I do is, obviously, you don't know if you're set right if you're not seeing the puddle properly, so that still goes back to that same part. So, once you actually can see the welding puddle properly, and and how you're, let's just say it's a standard fillet weld, or what we'll call a T-joint, you you'll you can weld a couple different ways with MIG. It's It's very forgiving. You can push the arc, or you can say, like you say, drag the arc, where... The gun is tilted, and you're moving the torch backwards. It does change the penetration characteristic a little bit um, because when you're pushing the torch, the welding arc is constantly being pointed towards the cooler material that you have not welded. If you're pulling the torch, the weld puddle is being pushed backwards against itself, so you're almost like welding on top of something that's already hot. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So what you'll find is, especially on thinner materials, you're going to want to push the gun. And that, when I say thin, I, I'm equating that to like body type material to maybe up to 1 of an inch or maybe, maybe even maybe 3.85, 090, 090 is a little bit more forgiving. You can go either way. Um, eighth inch, you can go either way, push or pull. But what you'll find is as you drag the torch, because the welding arc is being pushed back on the on the hot puddle, it tends to over penetrate on the thinner material. So you will want to push on the on the real thin stuff to help prevent some of that burn through. Um, and what you're looking for in the puddle, if you're just going to do what we'll call a stringer bead without any um, puddle manipulation, where you're actually doing maybe semicircles in the welding arc. If we just do a stinger bead, we want to make sure that you're going slow enough, the gun is pointing in the middle of the joint between the two pieces of material, and you're going slow enough that the weld material is washing up on both on both the pieces of, of metal. If you're going to manipulate the weld puddle and put semicircles or you know half moons or circles in it, again, you're gun angle is going to be critical and also your arc length is also critical in both applications. The arc length is really how far is the wire sticking out of the MIG gun while you're welding. You want to be fairly close to it, obviously without touching it, but you want to be fairly close. The longer you pull that stick out, the wire is longer and therefore the resistance is higher. The machine has to work harder to burn that wire off. And you're not going to get a consistent weld. So, so, so
0: actually, I would to, say to, to clarify that a little bit. Sort of describe yeah. the process by which a, a MIG welder actually works. You know, we we know that the the, the, the wire comes out and, and closes a circuit there, but what's so, so, sort of what are the, yeah. the physical processes in, involved in in, in, a, in a MIG weld? Sure. Um, well, a
1: little history with welding machines. you know, obviously the stick welding process, chemical first, and then the the. The, the MIG welder came along after that, there, there are two completely different processes. With stick welding, you're, you're setting amperage on the front panel. So that machine has a transformer designed to keep the amperage constant. So if I'm gonna weld at 125 amps, you know, stick welding is an amperage process. With MIG welding, your primary control is a voltage control. I wanna weld at 16 volts. 17 volts. Therefore, the transformer in it is designed to keep the voltage constant, and the amperage is allowed to fluctuate. Same, it's the same power concept that's coming out of your wall. You have 120 volts coming out of the wall, no matter what you plug into it, it's going to give you more or less amperage to feed what you're, what you're looking to run. So with a MIG machine, the, the voltage stays steady. And the amperage is allowed to fluctuate, and really what you have is a controlled short-circuit burn. You have a continuous fuse, and and you're blowing the fuse hundreds of times a second. And as that wire comes down and touches the base metal, as you slow this thing up, if you could see it in high-speed photography, the wire comes out of the gun, it short-circuits to the base metal, and the amperage in the machine is allowed to skyrocket. That burns the wire off, kind of like a fuse, causes a droplet to be deposited on the weld material, and then the amperage drops way down again. Then the wire comes back, hits the piece again, and then the same process goes over and over again, hundreds of times a second, and that's why you get that bacon-frying sound, that sizzle. That sizzle sound is that short circuiting of the wire and the burning off of the wire. So that is affected by your stick out. If you change your stick out, you're gonna change how that how that sizzle or how that short circuit takes
0: place. So at, at the actual point of weld, the heat being generated to melt the base metal comes from the molten piece of piece of wire or comes from the the uh, short circuit itself. Yeah.
1: Yes, it co- well, it comes from both. The short circuit does provide that, but the average between the short circuit, the burning off, the actual burning of the wire off is what's okay. creating the heat. Yep. Yeah. And, and because the wire is being con- constantly driven at a constant rate, that, that, um, it's being deposited on the, on the filler metal. If you have too much voltage, then you'll burn back too fast and the wire may burn off to the tip. If you don't have enough voltage, then the wire stubs into the piece, and, it, you know, it just stubbles, and it it, you know, it gives you a really erratic weld. Um, so that's all part of the fine-tuning. How do you set the machine? Do you just set it by sound, or do you set it by by look? You can set, you know, there's a feel to it. You know, if, if the gun keeps wanting to jerk and push, your, push the wire away from the, the workpiece, you, you don't have enough voltage to burn the wire off you know so there's a happy medium there you want that controlled short circuit burned so
0: how do you find that sort of sweet spot in between voltage and then wire feed speed um you know if you're if you're pushing the wire too fast do you back the wire speed off or do you increase the voltage or or a little bit of both and when when would you use the individual controls like that
1: uh, well, on the Miller machines, it's pretty easy. We have an auto-set feature. <laughs> <laughs> you just tell the, <laughs> you tell the machine what thickness you're welding, and it'll do that part for you. <laughs> but but in, in reality, the, um, the there's a, a voltage range um, for each material thickness, and the wire feed speed will actually vary depending upon the thickness of the weld wire you're using. If you're using an O24 wire, you're going to have to stuff more wire into it than if you're using, say, an O35 wire on the same type of material thickness because the diameter of the wire is thicker for O35, and you don't need as much of it to keep that consistent burn. Uh, Most MIG welding voltages on the front of the machine, um, if your machine has meters, you know, most, you know, if we're talking in our our standard grassroots market. A lot of machines don't have meters. They have reference numbers on the front of the machine, maybe one to ten. Some of them may have voltages. Uh, most of my, most machines, I know all ours do, have a set up reference guide inside the machine. It's a chart. Uh, it may say, you know, for this material thickness and this wire size, set the voltage at 4.5 and the wire feed speed at 50%. And that'll get you in a welding window. And then you can fine tune it for how fast you weld. You may, I weld a little slower. I like to put my, uh, my little bead puddles in there. I manipulate the weld puddle a little bit more. Some people weld faster. They like to, they like to put it in hot. Um, maybe they're welding on something thicker. It could be a trailer hitch, you know. So they need to make sure they're burning it in. And um, so they'll, they'll have those things set up a little bit higher. That quick reference chart in the machine gets you in, in that window. There are a lot of tools, there's, a, um, there's tools even on the Miller website if you have machines that have an voltage and wire feed speed that you can read. Um, there are setup guides, slide rules if you will, that you just set the material thickness and it'll give you a starting point of voltage and wire feed speed based on a, a particular wire size. Um, so an average would be let's say if I'm welding eight inch material, a good starting spot for that is gonna be anywhere from sixteen to sixteen and a half volts and around two hundred and twenty five inches per minute of wire speed. <laughs> Excuse me.
0: So then you know, we, we don't always have the luxury of welding similar materials to each other. What when you're welding, say, you know, uh, something thinner onto something thicker or, or two sort of disparate thickness materials together. What do you set for, and then how do you how do you alter your 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 technique? And I would imagine it would mostly be a an altering of technique when you're talking about different thickness materials. What do you what do you adjust when you're when you're looking at two different different types of materials?
1: Uh, if I'm welding, let's say we're welding say a quarter inch to maybe eighth inch. So now you've got uh, you've got half the material size on one, and you know double on the other you don't want to use your quarter-inch settings because they're going to be too hot and you don't want to use your eighth-inch settings because they're going to be too cold. So if you split the difference and go in the middle, keep in mind you're still going to get, you know, good penetration on the quarter-inch even on the little lower setting because you don't need as wide of a welding bead on the quarter-inch because you're only welding it to the eighth-inch material. So. you're not looking to penetrate fully into the quarter-inch material because you only need to stick an eighth-inch to it. So you can cut down on your settings a little bit and you also may want to use what I call a little welding English. You'll probably want to direct the gun a little bit more towards the thicker material and then wash the puddle up onto the thinner material. And that way you can kind of watch the puddle and kind of control, make sure that you're not getting ready to burn through that thinner material. And you can always go back and kind of wash it back down onto the thicker material to to use that kind of to govern how fast the puddle is going. Um, And that's true whether you're MIG welding, stick welding, or TIG welding. You're probably going to want to concentrate a little bit more of that heat on the thicker material.
0: So what about... um just crappy materials. If if you've got maybe, you know, I'm I'm thinking something along the lines of a a a farm store type trailer that's made from you know cheap cheap sure. Chinese metal or or uh, you know like cheap galvanized stuff, and you've, you've got two pieces that you just have to stick together. Is, is there yeah. is there something you can adjust for there, or do you just just drill a hole and put a bolt through it at that point? What you know, can you can you get away with any of that?
1: Uh, you, you, and if possible, material prep is always welcome in in MIG welding. You're, you're best to take a grinder to it and wire brush it if you can get it back down to some real metal. You know, welding over rust never really works well. Uh, if you're going to do that, then break out a stick welder. That's about the only way you're going to kind of glue some of that together. Um, you know, But uh, on the MIG weld, you're, you're still going to need... A fairly clean material to, to establish the arc to get the electrical current flowing. Now remember that that's critical. You know we're talking about arc welders, so if you're not, if you don't have, yeah, it's metal, but you got to at least get it down to a base. You know, a fairly clean base to establish the arc and get it going. If there's just a little bit of contamination, um, the, just the heat of the arc will burn that away. Um, even if it's just got a little bit of paint you know, that's still left on it. You know, the, the act of the arc being so hot will burn that away as you're welding uh, up to it. Uh, a lot of paint's going to cause some contamination, and and uh, it will affect the weld bead the way it looks and the integrity of the weld bead because you'll get uh, contamination in the weld. It'll be bubbly looking. It won't, uh, it won't be nice and smooth. It'll be darker and black coated um, because of that, because of the contamination. But like I say, if it's a farm type thing, or you're just trying to glue something back together to hold it, uh, you know, it's not a critical piece. It's maybe it's decorative. You know, yeah, you can get by with that. Another thing that you'll you'll find on our machines is you can use a flux cord wire. Um, you you have to change a the machine around, which is fairly easy to do. It's just a matter of switching the positive and negative power cables on the uh, on the machine, switching them around backwards. And you can put a flux core in. And a flux core is basically a stick weld on a wire wheel. It's it's kinda it's got a it's got a flux within the center of the wheel or the wire. You don't need to use gas with it. So it's it's kind of similar to a stick weld. But it's kind of designed for that. You know, maintenance and repair, and just you know, I need to glue this back together to get it back to the shop, or you know, that type good, of stuff. Yeah. You're really not looking for a FedEx purposes. You know, the flux cord wire works fine for
0: that. Good field package, though, probably just something to put in the put in the utility in the utility trailer. And if you got to stick two things together, it might be a good way to go. Well, so so tell us about with with Mig. I've you know always been used to doing doing steel is there are there any other material like is it possible to do other other metals with mig as well
1: oh sure yeah yeah and mig is mig is very versatile um and uh it's it's real good for higher production rates you know tig is a little slower the costs are a little bit higher you know to get into the equipment but mig mig is you know you can weld stainless steel with it um you can even rub aluminum with it with the right wire and yeah. Cap. How would you
0: set some? How would you set something up to do do aluminum with Mig?
1: Uh, with aluminum, the best way to do it is to add a spool gun to it, and a spool gun is a, is a self-contained unit. It has its own drive motor inside the gun, and you're only because of the aluminum wire is so soft. It's hard to push that wire through that long Mig gun you have. You know, and, and without having the wire kink inside the liner, um, it just doesn't push those long distances very well. So by putting a small spool of aluminum wire in a spool gun, then you've eliminated that feeding problem. The, the spool guns can integrate to all our products, and, and that way you've got a, a short distance to spool the aluminum wire. You'll use a straight argon gas, 100% argon, and uh, and then again, you're still setting voltage and wire feed speed. The difference is with aluminum, you're going to be in what's called a different transfer mode called a spray transfer. And that just means the voltages are going to be set a little bit higher. Instead of having that short circuit sizzle that you would find with welding steel, it's more of a, a hissing sound. Um, you know, And that just means that instead of the wire coming down and hitting the workpiece, Hundreds of times a second, like it does in steel, it means that the arc is actually established and it just stays on all the time. And you're kind of forcing the aluminum into the already, um, you know, arc ionized field. And it just, you just keep pushing the aluminum into that area and it sprays it onto the weld piece that you're, you're welding. Now, it, that spray is. More of a terminology. It's not like spray. Like I'm taking a can of spray paint, and it's not a wide, you know, blast of spraying aluminum. It's still, it's still a narrow arc that you're working with. But the arc transfer does sound different, and you know, people need to be aware of that. All
0: right. So, so yeah. moving up to sort of the next level of, of complication, what I, what I would consider is is TIG welding, and and that would sort of be you know for us kind of the natural next step and, and and when i think of tig welds i think of you know these beautiful sort of uh concentric uh, arcs of 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 beautifully run weld beads and you know on a, a variety of different different materials but the few times i've tried tig welding i i i burnt Everything in the garage to the ground. It was. It was. It was. It's a very complex process until you sort of get get a feel yeah. for it. So, you know, if somebody is looking to 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 make that jump, well, first off, what what are the advantages, or 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 what what additional sort of uh, you know advantages or 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 realizations do you get from TIG welding? And then how would you how would you sort of develop your, your technique from being, you know, a, a competent MIG welder to starting to get in, in, into TIG because it's, it's a little bit different way of thinking almost.
1: It is, it's a lot different way of thinking. It's almost like a, a high-powered solder or brazing, if you will, um, without the, you know, if you're brazing, you know, you're you know, familiar with oxy-fuel welding, you know, the braze, you got the flame and you're constantly moving the flame around the joint that you're welding, and, and controlling how much heat is on it by how long you're holding the flame and how close you're getting to it. And, you know, whereas with pig welding, the torch stays constant, you know, as far as it's distance and position, and you're moving the torch along the seat. So, by a remote, whether it be a foot control or a hand control. So if you're using, most people will start with a foot control because it's easy, and I equate it to kind of like driving a car. You have an accelerator pedal. Now, every material thickness has a speed limit or how much power you need to melt it. Um, the advantages of TIG welding, is, especially on aluminum, is, you know, your weld is, it's, I, would, I hesitate to say it's stronger because in, a, in the right application, a MIG weld can be strong, um, but it's a lot more controllable and focused. So if I need to weld outside corners on something, I can do that much easier with TIG than I could ever do with MIG welding. If I need to weld inside a tight area, the gun for MIG welding is too large to get in there. You can't can't get in those areas in most cases. If you need to make sure that your... Uh, your welding, maybe it's uh, a pressure vessel or something needs to hold water, liquid, oil, or something like that, again, TIG welding is the way to go because if you're watching the puddle, you can definitely see that you're welding both pieces together, and the chances of, of not making that piece, you know, solid and sound, you know, is greater with MIG welding. You have less chances of, of any leaks if you're TIG welding it, because you have so much control and precision. <clears throat> the act of welding it is a little bit more complex and takes a little bit more operative skill and practice because each hand is doing something different along with your foot. You know, um, I would say offhand, people that would probably have good manual dexterity to, to TIG weld or learn it quick would be somebody who's good at, um, heavy equipment operators, um, somebody who's good with a bobcat or a helicopter pilot, or you know, you know, they already have, you know, that division of duty done with their hands. They're, you know, so when I train new new people, my first thing with them is to train them to dissolve their hands from each other because most people, when they first go to pig weld, they got they get the machine, they make the investment. They sit down with some material, and they commence to make a lot of scraps. Like, like <laughs> you said, you tried it, and it started, you started know, burning things down. So when the first thing that most people do when they step on the foot pedal and they get that arc started, and then they take the filler metal and they try to stick it into the arc zone, is they find that both their hands end up moving at the same time, and they stick everything together. And then you get that big arc explosion and it's blast and you contaminate the tungsten and now you gotta cut it off and redress it and start over. So I have kind of like a four step process I teach everybody. We even made videos on it. If you go to Miller's website or go to the Miller YouTube channel and look up my my four step process on TIG welding or training your TIG weld, it really steps you through that learning process on how to, how to Start TIG welding, and I tell people because you have to learn to, to to dissolve the duties of your hand and feet. Is don't even strike an arc. Let's just run through the motions in a dry run scenario first, without even striking an arc. You know, this get get the torch set properly, get the torch angle set properly. With TIG welding, you always want to push the arc. You don't want to pull it. So there's the first difference right off the bat for me. So you have to push the arc you're wanting to deposit the filler metal kind of on the leading edge of the puddle. So after we've dissolved our hands from our brain and can actually get them to do something different, then go ahead and strike an arc. But don't start adding filler metal yet because the next critical process in TIG welding is puddle control. How much power do I need to get that puddle started and how do I keep it maintained? So for me, it's keeping the puddle started, and to start the puddle, you're stepping on the foot pedal like you would, say, starting a car, and I'm getting to the proper speed limit or material thickness, and when you find that the puddle starts and turns shiny, that's your indication that you're melting the base metal. Then widen the puddle out to the proper width, which would be, you know, also determined by the material thickness, some some thicker material you need to puddle to be a little wider. Um, if you have a key joint, your puddle needs to be wide enough to fit both those pieces. If you're doing an outside corner weld, you need a little less power because the puddle is a little narrower. Sure. But really what I want to do is make sure they have the puddle control out. So take a couple pieces of scrap metal, start a puddle, and just run it down that piece and make sure that you can keep that puddle width the same all the way down that piece. When you get to that part, then we go to the next step cuz then you have puddle control down is that Yeah, make sense?
0: yeah, so you're you're basically using okay. using your foot to control the amount of power but it's independent of of your okay. of your hand speed so you have two things going on already so yep. now now sure. you add that third hand and start filling filling that additional material in there with 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 you know exactly. at at a at a third rate it sounds like
1: It is. It is at another rate. So the torch is being moved slowly in consistency with usually it's your dominant hand, if you're left or right-handed, you'll put the TIG torch in your dominant hand most of the time, and so if you're right-handed, you're moving from right to left. Your filler metal will be in your left hand, and again, which you'll find once you get the puddle started, if you speed up and go too fast in a certain area within that piece, then you'll start to lose the puddle because you went too fast. If you slow it up, then the puddle starts to get wider and almost out of control. And after you do that, you can pick your hood up and you can look at the piece and go, holy cow, you you can analyze your own faults. But once you get that puddle consistent and you start adding filler metal, you're going to do a dab and move, You know, dab the filler metal on the leading edge of that shiny puddle, and it'll pull a droplet off, off of that filler metal. Then slide the torch over a little bit, And repeat the process. Dab the filamental on that leading edge of the puddle, move the torch, dab it in, move the torch, dab it. And so we'll start with a dab and move, dab and move. And then you can increase that travel speed to the point where you're not stopping in the middle of dabbing the filamental. It turns into a a rhythm. You You know, you can almost use some sort of you know, a timing device. If you, well, you want to take a musical, you can note, you can you know? can
0: keep time with your remaining foot. <laughs> <Sure>.
1: Well, <laughs> yeah, if you got a nice song going in the background. Yeah, um, but uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of what it is. It's really a rhythm, and that's what gives you that puddle definition. Every time you dab the silver metal in, you're at, it, it puts that puddle down. So when you say, oh, "I'm looking for that stack of dimes," look. It's really how you're adding the filler metal. If, if you want wider puddles, you're moving the torch farther than you're adding the filler metal. If you want real tight overlapping beads, you're adding the filler metal faster than you're moving the torch. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. So if you want a real good solid well bead that's going to be strong. You're going to want to make sure you're overlapping at least 50% of the previous bead. That way the edges of the weld, which we call the toes, aren't indenting too far or coming in too far to the point where it's going to cause some if this was a structural piece, it wouldn't cause a stress crack at the toes of the weld because you don't have enough filler mm-hmm. metal there. So you've got to make sure you at least are covering 50% of that previous weld bead when you go on to dab the next piece, the next puddle piece. But, um, you know, I find most of us are visual learners I, or we accept visual learning, you know, uh, real well, whether we, we, you know, whether we're, we're, more of a book person or whatever. We could, you know, the videos because you can actually see what's going on in the puddle. And as long as you imitate that, especially with welding, as long as you imitate what we've done on the videos, most people are
0: fairly yeah and 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 the other nice thing is a, a good weld has sort of a universal look to it so if you can if you can produce you know the 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 visual representation of a good weld chances are it's a it's a pretty yeah. good weld so it is and
1: and it's easy to critique yourself because if your welds are looking grainy and dull or they're or punching through the backside. You, you just you have too
0: or, much. Or if, or if you take, if, you're, yeah. Or you're going. Or if you slow. take the clamp off and the yeah. two pieces just fall fall apart, you probably didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Which is that could be yeah. torch
1: angle. Yeah, your, your torch, <laughs> torch angle might be. You might you have too much English on. So one let, piece.
0: let's let's talk about one more quick technique thing, and then I want to get into some of the some of your your equipment recommendations. But um, we we've sort of assumed that all of our. Pardon me, all of our welds so far have been sort of uh you know horizontal plane looking down on them. What do you need to change technique-wise when you're welding vertically or even you know even upside down, you know how much how much are we look, yeah. what what sort of you know f- how does the physics change at that point? Good,
1: good. Yeah, um with with MIG welding you usually want to slow up the speeds and turn the machine down a little bit um, because when you're welding upside down, gravity is, is not your friend in this case. And and the when you're MIG welding, a lot of times that will cause the puddle to droop, or you're going to be um, the puddle's going to completely fall off the piece, and hopefully onto you, on, yeah. On your <laughs> chest, <laughs> yeah. So you know, keep in mind the. the the Miller safety gear there, it'll keep you from friendly, flying. So, but, uh, but yeah, usually when you're going out of position with MIG, you, those settings are going to be slowed up a little bit. Which, um, uh, I usually just kind of drop down to the next lower range um, on the machine. Um, with the auto sets, it's really easy um, because you can just literally turn one knob and then it just kind of slows those settings up. If the, and that's with the material thicknesses that we're accustomed to in in the sports market. We're not welding real thick stuff, uh, you know. If you're doing structural work, uh, you know, you're building bridges and and destroyers and things like that. They're they're using a little bit different process that allows them to still put high heat and still and then weld out of position at the same time. But uh, for us, just using a standard MIG welder you're most likely going to either slow the machine settings up slightly, or you're going to have to increase your travel speed to make up for that. Um, mm-hmm. um, which if you're welding tubing, which most of us are in motorsport, that's hard to do. Right? Yeah. So yeah, like yeah. Cause you're, you're constantly, you're constantly changing the position yeah, of the you're welding
0: yourself into corners and, and out of, out of sight basically.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's, that's always a challenge. Um, which um, when we get to talking about some recommendations we've got a new welding helmet that's great for that and then you're stuck up underneath a car. I don't really to talk about
0: that. <laughs> so, so I, actually that was the next thing I was going to sort of cover. So you know, let's say you're you're at a show or you're at a track somewhere and and somebody's asking you, okay, look, I've you know I've got a reasonable amount of mechanical skill. i, I I'm a club racer, I'm an autocrosser. i'm I'm whatever. I don't own any welding equipment. Um, but I want to, I want to start getting into this, you know. But also, I don't want to buy something that's going to be, you know, not expandable and and be the only thing. What's what's going to be sort of your first recommendation for, for a, a starter outfit, and and what am I going to, be be into that for price wise, you think? Uh, I would say, you
1: know, on a MIG side, I would first. Um, you know, ask myself what what our input power considerations are going to be. Am I am I limited to a shop that only has 120 volts available? You know, right right then and there, you, that really narrows your you know, you know narrows the availability of some of the machines that you can purchase. Uh, we are making more and more machines that are compatible with both say 120 and 230 or 240 volt operation but if you're only going to have 120 volt available and you don't foresee getting 230 in the shop, then that kind of limits your your choices. Um, But really, it's going to be the input power considerations and what's the material thicknesses that you're going to be welding. That'll put you in an amperage range for the machine selection. So if you're looking at anything in that... You know, quarter inch and under market. Um, uh, quarter inch is kind of a uh, I call that kind of like the magic dividing line. Yeah, anything under that, it, you can get away with, you know, some little smaller machines. Um, the 110 volt, 120 volt machines, you're kind of limited up to about 3/16 material sizes. Um, so, say like our new Millermatic 141 would be kind of a product for the 120 volt market if you're getting you know if you do have 230 volts available in your shop the millimatic 190 is the 230 volt only it's 230 volt only it cannot select between the two um but it has it has higher amperage capacities um you can it has actually a maximum power capacity to to reach 5 16 material Uh, that's a little over quarter inch now it's not a quarter inch production machine you know when you get into that if you are building cars a lot we make a machine we make machines that are in that same ampere ranges but they have heavier transformers in them the duty cycles are better but you know considering this is more of a grassroots environment we're probably looking at you know you know we're not welding you know six hours out of eight you know we're welding small runs we're only welding a few inches at a time, especially if it's around tubing, um, you know, maybe if you're welding some some frames, you know, again, most of the frames we're working on is, is 120 wall material, right? So, you know, even the material thicknesses there aren't that high. So if the material thickness is lower, then you can weld longer at those higher amperages and it's not going to affect the machine. So the Miller Mac 190 is an excellent choice for somebody who has 230 volts available. If, uh, if you're looking for portability and you want flexibility, the Millermatic 211 is is just the bomb, really. It's got 120 and 230-volt capability with a quick-change plug. So you can unscrew the plug, put the 230-volt plug on when you're in the stock. Or if you want to run it on a generator and take it to the track, you can unscrew that and put the 120-volt plug in and plug it in the generator at the track. Yeah. So it has a lot more flexibility um, and, uh, and makes that a lot more versatile. And it gives you up to 200, a little over 200 amps of power. So now your material thicknesses, again, go up. On the TIG side, we have the same thing. We've got machines that are more hobby class machines, like our diversions. Um, there's not a lot of, of uh, adjustments to it. The operator interface is really simple. That's got an on and off switch, and it's got a polarity switch for AC and DC for selecting your steels, stainless steels, versus say your aluminum. And then there's an amperage control. Very simple machine. We preset most of the other variables on the on the motherboard for you, so you don't have to worry about setting the gas control as about well as how many seconds do you want for post flow and um, you know, others. Does the high frequency come on to start the arc, or doesn't come on to start the arc? Those, you know, a lot of that stuff, you know, from TIG machines of the past. If you recall seeing a TIG machine, you would see how many buttons and knobs were on this thing. It was, it was like trying to learn how to fly a jet fighter just to set it. So with the new machines, they're they're much easier to work with as far as the operator controls. And the diversion is also the diversion 180 is also a 120, 230 volt machine. With that same quick change
0: plug. So, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, sorry, sorry. Go ahead.
1: I, I was gonna say, if you wanted to get into that area where, like you say, you want to buy a machine that can grow with you, with your say your material sizes and grow with your as your skill level increases, on the MIG side, you're gonna be moving up into like a Miller Matic 212 or a 252. On the TIG side, the new Syncrowave. The New Sinclair 210, um, for a few hundred dollars more than the diversion, you get a lot more power. You get a machine that's on its own running gear, so you know you don't have to build or buy a cart like you would with the diversion. Um, it's got the heavier industrial foot pedals. It's got the better regulators. It's got stick if you want to do stick welding. Um, it has uh, it has it's software upgradable with uh, with S F- Cards. Um, it even has mid programs. You can plug a uh, spool into the front of it. Uh, it's uh, it, it gets you into a much more, I'll say, semi-industrial ca- capacity for not a lot more money.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm actually uh, at your website looking at the uh, the 211 right now. <laughs> not that I, not that okay. I need to expand the shop any god, but yeah, it, there, there, there's a $400 rebate on it on it right now. It looks like on uh, available on buy by, yeah, by mail. But yeah, like, it looks, looks like a very cool dual voltage setup, which is which is handy. I mean, I, my the the one I use is a 110 only, and it's you know. Yeah, you can. If you got to weld something to a quarter inch piece, you can do it. But it's, it's you know, if you're welding on a trailer or something, it's nice to have the option to just crank things up and and actually actually yeah. plow through the thick metal. So, okay, so so let's let's talk about then after that accessories. If I'm sitting here on your website placing an order, what do I? If I don't own anything already, what do I absolutely not want to be without? You know, beginning my my future well, as as a welder.
1: Yeah, yeah. You absolutely don't want to be without the welding helmet. Um, we have a couple different levels of welding helmets, and um, we've got a, a, a hobby class welding helmet. Um, you know, they're obviously the, the least expensive. Um, they're electronic; they automatically darken when you strike the arc. Um, the difference in, say, the hobby class versus the more, the, the, the better helmets. Um, you know, maybe the more industrial or the ones with the higher features is the size of the viewing window and the number of the sensors to sense the arc. So you go from two sensors with the hobby class up to four sensors and a magnetic field sensor with the better helmet called our Elite, our Digital Elite. So, which is great because... You know, as so far as I do, like if you're if you're working outside and it's a bright day out, the higher the ambient light is, the harder it is for the helmet to see what you're welding.
0: Yeah, and, and, and yes, the slower the it is to react, is and, and yeah. Yeah,
1: the, and it flashes you. You might start welding, and you might move your head, and it might block one of the sensors, or you know, it's it's a lot more finicky in those brighter lit environments. Or you might be in a shop. And you've got those big bright lights that are above your weld bench, and they're reflecting off the weld bench, and that causes the helmet to flicker. And um, So there's another mode on our digital elite. It's called the X mode, and what it does when you select the X mode, it measures the magnetic field in your area, and as soon as you pull the trigger, it changes the helmet. So it's not working off the light at all. Oh, it's working it's off the magnetic measuring field the magnetic that the
0: gun's t- – oh, that's yeah. crazy.
1: Yeah, so, so you can have your head crossed up underneath the weld bars and have all those sensors blocked, and the helmets still going to stay dark. So that's, that's a really feature. So um, it definitely get you a welding mask, a welding helmet. We have a new weld, welding helmet. It's actually called a weld mask. Instead of being a helmet, it's more of a, of a head sock. You know, imagine, uh, uh, imagine a ski mask with an electronic welding lens inside of it. Which is neat, also for welding up inside tight areas where you, you it's already hard enough to get your head in there, and then to put a big welding helmet on to get up inside these areas. This is awesome doing stuff like that. Um, it's it's called it's just it's really what it's called. It's called the weld mask, and it's just welding goggles with a, with a, a shield uh, you know a cover that goes over your entire head. Um, so it's a, it's a unique piece. They just came out with it. Um, uh, I'm pretty
0: sure it's on the website already. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. And you know, looking at your website here, with some of the rebates you guys got going on now and, and some of the stuff, it looks like starting from nothing, you know, a, a $1,000 expenditure will get you welding pr- pretty well. So it, it, it's yeah. not—it's it, yeah. nothing that's that, that's going to really sort of sort of break the bank. I mean, it's this is an accessible technology for anybody that wants to, wants to, to to try it out.
1: It is, and and it's and it's a high quality piece. You know, when you talk about getting into the hobby market, uh, you know, we're not sacrificing quality. Our our lower-end machines have to go through the same reliability and testing chambers as our heavy industrial stuff. You know, they go through accelerated life cycle chambers where they, you know, they get high heat, humidity, salt spray, conductive dust. I mean, they, it's it's it has to pass those chambers before we stamp it with a three-year warranty. Um, you know, so it's it's um, we're we're not we're not trying to rob you of any quality just because you're a hobby well. Yeah, it's a, it's still a good piece, uh, but you're right. For thousand dollars, you can get into a, a decent welding system. Um, on the smaller machines, like the smaller MIGs, keep in mind that it's it's the machine. If you, you know, you're gonna want to put it on a cart. Um, you know, there are there are um, packages where the machine does come with a cart, but uh, some people will see the machine, they'll order the machine, they'll get it home, they'll own pocket, they will order where's the cart? Well. <laughs> <laughs> and just order the wrong part number.
0: But, uh, and then you're also going to have to add a add a gas bottle to it and that's something that you're going to be sourcing locally for the most part. I I would think because that's that's yeah. something that you you know, you basically rent the bottle and 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 return that when it's empty and get a new one when it's full from a local welding supply yep. house. Yep,
1: there are two ways to do it. Yeah, you can either rent or lease the bottles from your local welding supplier or the the smaller size bottles You can purchase those. um, And you can still put it on the rotation plan with your distributor. You're just on the books for owning a cylinder. Um, But, yeah, that's usually the way it works is, you know, you bought a cylinder or you're renting it. Um, If you're you're the typical hobby guy, um, if you're going to be in it for the long run and you're using a good bit of gas, you know, the leasing way works fine. Um, uh, Keep in mind if... uh, if you want to keep getting your bottle back and you're bringing that bottle in to get it filled, and you say, I want that bottle back, well, keep in mind there is a date code on them. Um, they have to be retested after a few years, and and that's not cheap. I think it's, you know, some places it's, you know, 60 to to 100, 120 bucks. you know, and some of those bottles are only $300 new, you know, depending on what size you're getting. So if, if you go
0: with the lease program, you never have to worry about lease certifying. Very cool, actually, uh, Andy Weirenberg, Thank you very, very much for uh, for hanging out with us for a while. I, I actually I'm excited about going out and, and and trying a few things here. <laughs> well, before yeah, before sure. I forget everything you told us, uh, hang hang on for a second. After we say goodbye, we'll make sure we got all of our files saved here. But um, Miller Welds is is uh, Miller's website. And actually, they. They sell stuff directly through through their website. And um, you, you, do you have any any? Sh- I, I know you, you do presentations and shows and stuff. Do you have anything coming up soon where people can see see a demo that you're going to be at? Maybe. Uh, let's see. We yeah.
1: Let's see if you're coming um, if you're coming down to the Charlotte market in uh, during uh, during race week in May. Um, we'll be over at uh, Dale Junior Motorsports. On uh, the 21st and 22nd, uh, we'll have uh, we'll have one of our big roadshow trucks there with equipment on it. Uh, that's where I will be next, um, but we'll also be at the SEMA show, or I will be at the SEMA show, uh, and also the Performance Racing Industry show. Uh, but uh, check our website for our roadshow schedules. It's, uh, we've got a couple of those trucks traveling around the country to different shows, uh, whether it be good guys shows or... Sometimes they're distributor events. But uh, yeah, definitely check our website. And uh, don't forget about our YouTube channel. That thing's probably one of our biggest um, you know, training areas for beginner welders. And we do a lot of product reviews. I, the, the machines that you guys can buy as personal users in this classification size are the same machines that I'm putting in Hendricks and Richard Childress's and, and Richard Petty's it, it, it's literally the same machines. Um, I just did a video; uh, it should be out pretty soon at Richard Tremor Motorsports on the Millimatic two I've done some at Hendrick Motorsports on the Millimatic 211. Um, I think Hendrick has 40 of those things. It, it's it, it's literally the same machine they're using to build their cars. So, um, but yeah, check out the check out the website and check out our YouTube channel. Awesome,
0: Andy. Thank you very much for being with us. We appreciate it.
1: Hey, thank
0: you for the time. And we're back. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Wasn't that phenomenal? Um, And also, I apologize. I'm doing this intro and outro on a handheld digital recorder and not my usual um, kind of semi-studio setup with actual mics and actual recording implements. And I'm mastering it on computer speakers. Um, But that's how we roll at Grassroots Motorsports, baby. We are always on the clock, whether we are in a hotel room halfway across the world or in our comfortable chair at home in our office or uh, at the office in our office or wherever we are we're we're working for you folks uh so yeah that was awesome um i hope i hope you guys got some good information out of there i hope um more of you will consider taking welding up as a skill it's it's really just this amazingly fun and satisfying thing to do to take two pieces of metal and make them into one piece of metal it's just it it's incredibly primal and incredibly satisfying and i it, it it's one of those things that the first time you do it you will just want to weld everything to everything else for the rest of your life it's it it's this sort of it uh, you know I, I i get people that meditate or play golf or you know, I, I i get that when i weld sometimes because like you can just see sort of physics and chemistry in action there in that little hot puddle. It's very cool. Anyway, I've rambled on enough. Um, I will let you guys get along about your important days. GrassrootsMotorsports.com slash discount. ClassicMotorsports.com slash discount. Check out those URLs for a discount on a print subscription to Grassroots Motorsports Magazine or Classic Motorsports Magazine. Thank you, as always, for listening to the podcast. Um, I apologize for the the te- technical inferiority of this week's show, but hopefully it was a good one. We'll be back in a couple weeks with more fascinating content. Thanks to everybody who's, uh, who's been listening, and I've gotten lots of great comments lately. And I'm glad you guys are out there having fun. I'm hoping uh, that we are making your commutes a little bit more satisfying or your evening dog walking or your jogs or, or whatever. Um, I hope we're making that a little bit more fun and providing a little bit of additional content for you guys to digest uh once again thanks very much i am jg pastor jack you are the listeners of the grassroots motorsports podcast we will see you in a couple weeks bye everybody